I won't go into too much detail of it today, but just know that at this point in time, uh, when these moments that David just read about, when all of these moments happened, um, this was the exact time, the perfect time in history where this, this Savior had to be born. And it was in this exact location where the Savior had to be born. It, was, it, was, uh, it, it had geographical significance. Uh, it, it had historical significance. It, it had um, contemporary significance even. At that time, um, this is, this is the, a point in time when, uh, when lots of uh, traffic, lots of people were moving through this area uh, like never before. And so this was the perfect time. This was the perfect season. So just as this longing and this anticipation for Christ, uh, God's people just uh, for, for years and years and years and years were waiting for that one to come. Um, it, it was happening exactly at the moment that God wanted it to happen. And so for some of us, depending on what's going on in your life, depending on what's happening and circumstances and situations, you might think uh, that God is not on your time. He's not on your clock. Uh, that he's, he's running behind, that he's not, um, he's not answering, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not speaking into your life when you need him to speak into your life most. But he's on time. He might not be on your time, but he's on his time, and his time, and it's perfect. Um, I, where we're going today, I, I'll share a story with you. Uh, some of you may have even heard this story before. It's about my great-grandmother. Uh, she, she died when she was 95 years old in, in the year 2000. Um, and she was really, she spent the last probably 10 years of her life uh, struggling with Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, but, but I knew her before uh, she was wrecked with this, this disease. And um, it was... It was just at her funeral. It was this pastor who was who was preaching her funeral, right? And one of the stories that he told, I never heard it before until this day. He said, um, "You know, she never, you never could hear a bad word or, or, or anything said about that that was negative toward her. Like she never said anything negative. Uh, she she was always positive. Any any circumstance, any situation, she was always speaking." real positively. Um, and so he said, I thought I finally had it figured out. One day I had a question. I was visiting with her one afternoon, and I was on her porch having coffee, and I had this question, and I knew at this moment that I, I had the, the question where there was no, she had to answer it and speak about something negative. So he, so he asked the question. He said, Miss um, Foreman, what do you think of Satan? Like, what's your, what's your thoughts on on?" On the devil, and so obviously, like there's not really much good to say, right, about the devil. Uh, we always can only come up with hateful and evil things. And her response was, after she thought about it for a minute, her response was, "Well, he's a hard worker." <laughs> it's like, come on, man. It's true, though, right? It's true. He's a hard worker. But those are just like a, a, a small phrase says so many things, right? Of course, he is. Like, nonstop. He knows exactly where to attack us, exactly where to go for us, and, and he does that. At, he, he's working 24-7 to do that, right? Um, so it, it, was, it was true. And, and I thought about that story, and I thought about a few moments in Scripture where small words, like a small statement, even one to two to three words just had such meaningful impact. And I know that we won't be there until probably somewhere around the March time frame. But when we get to John chapter 11, we'll see one verse in John chapter 11 uh, that's two words. 
and, and, and makes some of the biggest impact whenever you're reading this story in its context. But it gets to this point where Jesus is dealing with Martha and Mary, the, the ones that we just talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they had a brother who had passed, and, and the whole community was just mourning this death of, this, of, of their brother. Uh, and it says in that moment, in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Like he, in that moment, he saw the hopelessness and the darkness that came with death, and he knew that that wasn't right. And we know that that's not right. Uh, and when someone dies, when there's death that happens in, in, in our lives, um, there's just something in us that says, there's something really, really wrong with this. And it is. It's not how God intended mankind to, to, to go through life. Um, and so in that moment, it said Jesus wept. And that speaks so many things. In just two words, it says so many things. It speaks of, his, of, of, of God's humanity, right? God's Emmanuel, his God with us, God in the flesh, that Christ... Um, it's funny, just yesterday, Ash and I were able to pray for this guy who, um, you know, we, we, were, we were just praying because he, he's in a dark place right now. And, you know, I think about it, he's just kind of struggling through a lot of things. I said, you know what, Jesus will never ask us to go somewhere he hadn't gone himself, period. Like you think about whatever situation, whatever hard place in life you've, you've been or you might be in right now, you've never gone somewhere that Christ hadn't gone first, that he's... he's He's felt hate. Um, he's felt uh, 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 hurt and pain and, and rejection and all of these things that we feel. He's gone through them. And so he doesn't, we don't go anywhere where God hasn't gone himself. And God, so, so it tells us that like, God isn't cold, right? God isn't cold and he isn't distant from us. He, he, he hasn't created everything, right? And just stepped away and said, okay, it's rolling now. Creation's gonna just do its thing and I'm disconnected from it. He's, He's with us. He is Emmanuel, Emmanuel, and he is involved in every intricate detail of our lives, every single part of our lives. And so that's one, like Jesus wept. That speaks so many things. And another place in, in, in Ephesians um, chapter 2, I'll read it starting in verse 1. It says, uh, and you were dead in, in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. Like, stop right there, right? That's hopelessness. He's speaking to mankind that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. How did we become dead? Because we lived in the passions of our flesh. That's how you become dead. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. Okay, this doesn't sound like, you know, Jesus loves you, and you're, you know, you're a, you're a child of God. Like, can you see the utter hopelessness without Christ? Can you see that here? That you're children of wrath. I'm a child of wrath without Christ, like the rest of mankind. But God, there's those two words that mean so much. But God, here are, here's, here's where we're at, in a dark, cold, dead place. But God, being rich in mercy. Now look at the opposite of that. He's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It's important that we see that because our doing is that everything that we did got us dead. That we lived in the passions of our flesh. That we followed the ways of this world. That's the work that we did and it ended up in death. 
now it's by grace that we've been saved by God's work because our work leads to death. God's work leads to life. And so it's not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that none of us can boast. None of us can say that we did anything. And so today, if you call yourself a brother, a sister in Christ, one who follows Jesus, a believer, a person who's put their faith in Jesus, you didn't do that. You didn't have the ability to do that. God had to do something but God. Here's where you're at, but God did this. And now you're his child. What a beautiful picture of who God is. What a beautiful picture. And so, so too, this Christmas story that we read, there's, there's here just a few words in this story that I, I really want to kind of hang out with today to, to, so you can see this. Uh, it carries so much weight, so much weight for, for those of us uh, who are hearing them now, but also for those who first heard these words. So we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, if you haven't gone there yet, uh, you, can, you can go there, and we're going to kind of be there the rest of our time. And it's starting in verse 7. I'm going to pick up David read 1 through 16, but we're just going to kind of take it, you know, chunks at a time. Uh, I'm not going to get too uh, heavily involved in word-by-word study and, and, and exposition. I'm just going to take some chunks. I'm going to comment on those and give you some historical information, stuff that's significant to know. Uh, and so look at verse 7. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes or cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And here's those words. For unto you. For you. These angels are speaking to the shepherds and said, For you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Notice notice who the angels didn't appear to. The angels didn't go to uh, important people, dignitaries, kings, rich people. Like he didn't appear to those who you think might be worthy of some kind of announcement like this. He goes instead to shepherds, and and to understand why these words pack so much meaning, I I, want to paint this picture for you of the the spiritual condition of the shepherds. you got to understand where these shepherds are, because this is a big deal that the, the angel would come to them. It's a big deal that the angel would appear to women in this context, in this culture, to announce that Jesus has risen, right? You understand that. So, so Jesus is kind of just turning everything upside down here in the kingdom. And so these shepherds understand they lived a life of perpetual hopelessness, always living in this state of hopelessness. Let me talk about these sheep so you understand. Like These sheep were no normal sheep. Um, These were likely sacrificial lambs for the temple, and, and that's why they were in Bethlehem. And that's why they, they were kept out. of So, so there was, a, there was a, a certain amount of sheep that's needed because there's a morning sacrifice and there's an evening sacrifice that happens. And so you have to have some resources for these sacrifices pretty close at hand. And so there, and this means there were a lot of them too. And so here we have uh, what, what likely was these, uh, the temple priests, those who performed these sacrifices, uh, these ha- likely had their own flocks. 
right? They just didn't go and, and hey, somebody go get, find me a, a lamb somewhere. Uh, but they had their own flocks because there were certain prescriptions that had to be placed on the, the, the sacrifice, right? And so they just couldn't grab any, any lamb or any sheep and sacrifice it. It had to be a certain uh, lamb. And so history would tell us that there, was, there were flocks of sheep that were kept near Bethlehem. So that it was nearby the temple, near, near where we can make sacrifices. And these, here's something totally different, is these sheep, uh, they weren't kept out at night. Or they, were kept, they were kept out at night. Now, when we get to John chapter 10, which is a little later down the road, Jesus will say, um, I, am the, I, am the, I am the gate, I am the door to the, to, the, to the sheep pen, right? And he's talking to his disciples and saying, you come in through, through this gate only through me. And at night, there's this, there's this uh, 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 guy who keeps watch over the sheep. It's not the shepherd who watches over them at night. It's, it's this guy, this hired hand that we put over. And he doesn't really care about the sheep a lot, not like the shepherd does. He said, but I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who's going to take care of you. I'm going to lead you into green pastures. Like he's talking to himself. So you get this idea that in, in context, these sheep were, were stored together at night and, and all the flocks would be put in one pen. And then Jesus said, but my sheep know my voice. So when I call for them, they, they come to me. And, and this, is, this is very normal to hear this in this context because all of these sheep that were, um, that were, were, were led out to pasture during the day and, and fed during the day, they would all come into one pen at night. And then when it was time to go out the next morning to feed, a shepherd would call in his unique voice and his sheep knew his voice and those sheep, only those sheep would come out and follow that shepherd. And that's how they, that's how they led their sheep. So it's, it's very normal that all the sheep were, were penned at night together. But here we see that the shepherds were out tending their flocks at night. Why is that? Well, because we have, a, we have a special, these are sacrificial lambs. They can't just be mixed up with all these other lambs. They have to be set apart. They have to be without blemish, without spot. And so they, they were very... Uh, very important that we, that we understand that. They, they had to qualify as a proper sacrifice. So in order to maintain this quality, they couldn't just intermingle with the common sheep. They couldn't just be put in a pen at night with all the other sheep and then taken out during the day. They had to be kept set apart. And so these very sheep were the sheep that were being used for daily sacrifice. These ones that were kept out at night. So you just got to get the picture of that now. These, these shepherds, these men, who I'm going to go into and kind of show you, they live in this state of utter hopelessness, this perpetual hopelessness. They're tending these sheep that have special significance, that they qualify as the temple sacrifice, that they can't be put with other sheep and, and, and become common or become uh, uh, attainted, that they have to be set apart. And so these aren't just ordinary shepherds. Right? They, they, these were the very keepers of these sheep. These aren't shepherds who just go put sheep in a pen at night and then go home and go to bed and put a hired servant over the pen. Hey, watch it. I'll be back in the morning. These guys were, were, were something a little bit different. And so the story now becomes a little ironic, right? You might be thinking about this already. Wait a minute. You're saying that the guy who's tending these sheep lives in a state of hopelessness? Of helplessness? Understand this, that shepherds in this society were the dregs. They were the very, very low bottom of the barrel of society. Not thought well of, not, not anyone in society, not someone who counted for much of anything. That's how they were looked on. 
Shepherds in general. And so think about, just maybe to kind of wrap your head around it, think about the worst job imaginable. Maybe one that you've done. Maybe think about something, that, you know, like you... I worked in the food service for a while in high school, and that was, I mean, if you've worked there, you know, it's, it's, it's not always good. It's, it's kind of gross sometimes. Um, but think about the worst job imaginable that, you, that you've had or that you think you might, you know, would have to do one day. And that's the job of the shepherds. That's where these guys are, and that's what it's equivalent to. And so the reason they were considered this, the, the, the dregs, the scum of society, the reason that people looked at them like that is because they were ceremonially unclean. They, there, were, there were certain practices and acts that you had, steps that you had to go through, ceremonial washings that you had to go through in order to say that you were clean. And the shepherds never had an opportunity to do that. That, that the nature of shepherding and their role, that they didn't get to just leave the sheep, that they always had to be in the fields with the sheep. And so they never got to go through these ceremonial washings and they stayed out all day and all night so they couldn't adhere to these requirements. So they were considered unclean. These shepherds are unclean. And here's the deal. I want you to, I want you to start feeling the irony of this for a, little, for a little bit. I mean, just start let it sit on you that they couldn't enter the temple. They were considered unclean, yet they were tending the temple sacrifice. They couldn't enter it, but they, so they, they couldn't receive forgiveness of sin. Understand that before the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, you, your sins were atoned for at the temple, at the sacrifice. You had to go to the temple and have your sins atoned for. These sacrifices is what covered your sin. And they couldn't go there. They were unclean. They couldn't enter the temple, so their sins couldn't be forgiven. So here's a group of guys, regardless of their love, right? Regardless of their love for God and their longing for his love, regardless of all of that, they would never be able to obtain it because they were considered unclean. What a tragedy. Because to be unclean means that you are excluded. It means that you're, you're broken away. And so here was the nature of the shepherd's life. Here was their nature. Here was their state of being constantly. Yet these men would be the very men to care for the very sacrificial elements used to cover the sins of people, yet their sins couldn't be forgiven. And that's not even the most ironic part of the story. All right, so I'm giving you a lot of historical information. I want you to track with me. The mo the, the, that's not the most ironic part. The most ironic part, I think, is that, like, amazingly enough, these unclean, cut-off, separated ones um, are the ones that God runs to that night. Right? That's the irony of the story, is that here's the state of the, like, here's the sheep. Like, the sheep are the, the very special, unique, cared for this way, temple sacrifices. They have to have a certain prescription and quality. And you see the state of these men, who they are in society, and who they are to the religious circle of people. And that's who God goes to. God shows up to that group. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just, not just the religious people, not the ones who are considering themselves ceremonial, ceremonial clean, 
that, that not, the, not the ones who are adhering to all the religious practices and steps. For all people, all people, for unto you, shepherds, the ones who are cut off, the ones who are discounted, the ones who are unimportant, the ones who don't matter, the ones who are forever sinners and can't be forgiven of your sin, for you is born in, on this day in the city of David a Savior for you, a Savior for you, you unclean, cast off, cut away from society, you drag Christ has come for you. He's going to be your Savior. How amazing is that? The shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were were the first ones to see the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. They were the first ones to hear the news and run and see. And the angel could have announced this. He could have just been very, uh, very general and say, hey, today in the city of David, a Savior is born. Because right? that's true too. But he says, no, for you, for you, a Savior is born. But to these men of hopelessness, right, and separation and exclusion, that's who he says Christ has come for. He's come for you. Not just for the rich people. Not just for the clean people. Not just for the religious people. Not for the ones who are adhering to all the practices. But for you, a Savior is born. And that's good news for us in here. Because for you, a Savior has been born. It's Christ the Lord. He's your Savior. And, and here's the deal. God never does anything randomly. Never. Not one act that God has ever done has just been a random act, something that just, you know what, I just thought of it in the moment and did it. But every single piece is part of the plan. It's part of the story that he's written. So the one who created the universe and everything in it, right? The one who speaks life and breath into every second of our day. That one who's involved in every part. The one who stands outside of time, who holds the universe and all of us in the palm of his hands is the one who sent the angels to those shepherds and said, go tell them. Go tell them that a Savior has been born for them. Go tell them that. And so look at verse 12. And and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. So guys, if you don't believe this, because, you know, just... The culture and the society has told you that you can't be forgiven. If you don't believe this, here's your sign. Here's where you go for that. And he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Or peace and goodwill toward men is how we sometimes say that word or that statement. So let me give you some context behind this now, that verse right there. It was customary that any time a son was born into a family in this, in this culture, in this society, that you would have a group of men show up to the home and play a simple song or two. Some musicians that would go to celebrate. They would come and just sing a few songs. Here's the difference. Our Savior didn't have a home. He was lying in a manger. This practice that they normally do, it wasn't something that they could do that night because there was no home. They were in a, they were in a stall. They were in a, they were in a stable. And here's this baby boy that no one was on their way to sing a song to. No one was on their way to proclaim a song and sing over them and have a celebration about it. No one was coming for him. 
to sing a song. And so what a great picture we have. It says, you know what? God's going to just do a little bit better. He's going to send a host of angels to sing a song that no one on earth is worthy of singing. I'm going to send a band of angels from, from heaven down to sing the song. And he sings the song right. Glory to God, right? The Savior has been born. Glory to God. What a great picture. And so look at verse 15 with me. Uh, when the angels uh, went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And this is an important verse right here. And they went with haste. They, they went quickly. They hurried. They rushed. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. These men who heard this good news of great joy, Scripture would say that they, when the angels had left them, they looked at one another and said, hey, let's go to Bethlehem as fast as we can. Let's get there as fast as we can to see what God has revealed to us. Why is that so important to know? You don't move anywhere fast if you're going to gather up a hillside full of sheep and try to move them along. They left the sheep. They went with haste to see Mary and Joseph and this baby. And they, the one thing that the, the, the cardinal rule that they, they never should break is they left the sheep unattended. Jesus would even talk about it. You know what happens to sheep when they, they're left unattended? They... they they don't, they don't know their way. They, they, get, they go off and they get uh, astrays and, and then wolves pick them off. And they don't survive. And so it's, it's, he, they broke a, a, a major rule here, especially the temple sheep, the, the, the lambs that were going to be sacrificed. They ran, they left them with, with haste. And so the, the, that's what the Bible would indicate. Why would they do that? Why would they run, leaving the sheep, not even caring about them anymore? They, they believed the proclamation that God had just made. Because here's the deal. This isn't news to them that they weren't already waiting for. Everyone for years and years and years was longing for this Savior that was to be born. It wasn't the Savior that everyone wanted it to be, but it was the Savior that everyone needed it to be. They left their sheep because guess what? Soon they wouldn't need those sheep. Those sheep were no longer needed soon. That Christ had come, and guess what? He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world for the sins of God's people, the, the redemption and reconciliation of people. And so if you find yourself in this constant state of not being good enough, that's where these shepherds were, that I don't, I don't measure up. I'm not there. Like, I try to do good, but I'll, I'll never be like super elite, religious, uh, God smiling on me all the time type person. If that's, if that's you, that you might feel hopeless, like you, you walk in this state of utter hopelessness. Or you walk in this state of idolatry or misplaced hope that you, you think, okay, I'm, I'm worshiping you know, I'm not worshiping God, but I'm worshiping something, or I've misplaced my hope in something else that I think it's this guy or this girl, or I think it's my money, or I think it's my job. If my hope is misplaced, God sent for you 
a Savior who is Christ the Lord, who is Savior and King, to save us from hopelessness, to save us from not being good enough, to save us from idolatry, to save us from misplaced hope, to save us from all of those things. And at the end of the day, as much as we celebrate Christmas, as much as this is such a exciting moment in, the, in our calendar, right? I mean, really, like if you ask what's the biggest holiday of the year, people would always say Christmas because it is. Like you start, we start celebrating a little earlier most, but most of us start celebrating about a month, right? That we're gonna, it's one day that we're focusing on and everything's leading up to that day. It's a special moment. But the birth of Jesus is not what you need most. The birth of Jesus is not the most important thing that we're to celebrate. This event, this Christmas event, this day that the King was born, that Christ the Savior was born, was a means to an even greater event that happened in history. It was, here's the deal, Christmas is the means to Easter. Right? And so what we really should be celebrating in this moment is remembering Easter Remembering Good Friday, remembering the cross, because that's why he come. Christmas was a means to the cross. Jesus was born with a trajectory pointed straight at the cross. The, the birth of Jesus was this vehicle which death and resurrection would come. It was happening. And the fact that there was no room for Jesus in the end, right? This is real symbolic of, of, of what was to happen to Jesus, because there's only one place that had enough room for Jesus, and it was on the cross. That was the only place where there was enough room for all the wrath and all of the sins of people to be placed on Christ. The cross is the only place where your sin and my sin can be swallowed up. It's the only place. And so I'm going to kind of conclude with this this verse um, that you've heard me read often. uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake... He made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that he was sinless. So that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we become the righteousness of God? Through Christ, through the, through the, through the cross, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Born that man no more may die. We sing that song and we just kind of just skip through it, but that's an important statement. That Jesus was born so that you and I, we don't have to die. That we can have everlasting life if our faith is placed in him. So our response should be that of the shepherds, right? Our response should be that we, that we run quickly. That we move with haste. That we hastily move along. And, and not only that we move quickly, but we, we stop what we're doing. Whatever, whatever we're, whatever's got our attention in this moment, we stop what we're doing. Whatever, whatever we're holding in our hands, right? Whatever we have, we need to put it down. Because a lot of times, these are the things that we idolize, the things that we have to ourselves. Like, I've earned some things, I've acquired some things, I have money, I have material goods, I have these things, and that's, that's what I live for. I live to maintain those, I live to, to, those are my source of comfort, those are my source of enjoyment, like, those are, those are my God. And if there, was, if there was any hope at all for the shepherds, it was in these sheep that they were tending, and guess what they did? They just ran away from them, because they're not going to need these sheep anymore. This is, this is old stuff. The news now come. 
The old stuff is passing away. So put down whatever it is that's occupying your time. Right now, in this season especially, you've heard me kind of say this over and over and over, like stop for a minute. Whatever's busy in us, whatever's got our attention off of the main thing, let's stop it for a minute. And let's focus on the reason for the cross, not just for this season, but the reason for the cross, that, that you and I live in this state of utter hopelessness and helplessness without Jesus. And so that he, he did come, and we celebrate the birth of that, that, that okay, God's coming through on his promise, but it's not over yet, because a baby that's born in a manger does not save me. Only a man who's taken on all of my sin and carried it to the grave and buried it and then beat death, that's what saves me. And so that's what I celebrate. So would you pray with me?